everyone. Welcome to the podcast of the Vineyard Church, Chester Springs. We invite you to join our mission to love like Jesus, and you can connect with us on social media or visit our website, csvineyard.org. Now for this week's talk. If you uh, would like to stand with me so um, we can read God's word from John 10. John 10, verses 11 to 18. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd sacrifices his life for the sheep. A hired hand will run when he sees a wolf coming. He will abandon the sheep because they don't belong to him, and he isn't their shepherd. And so the wolf attacks, attacks them and scatters the flock. The hired hand runs away because he's working only for the money, doesn't really care about the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own sheep, and they know me, just as my father knows me, and I know the father. So I sacrifice my life for the sheep. I have other sheep, too, that are not in this sheepfold. I must bring them also. They will listen to my voice, and there will be one flock with one shepherd. The father loves me because I sacrificed my life so I may take it back again. No one can take my life from me. I sacrifice it voluntarily. For I have the authority to lay it down when I want to and also to take it up again. For this is what my father has commanded. Amen. Father, we bless you and we thank you for your presence here. Father, we know that you want to speak. You are a God who is not silent, who is not deaf, who is not mute. So speak, Holy Spirit. In my weakness, Lord, be my strength. Lord, increase in this place. May you be glorified for everything that we do here today. In Jesus' name, amen. Please take your seats. One thing that every Christian, but especially every preacher and every teacher of the Bible, has to learn to do is to be an apologist or a defender of the faith. And we all need to know what we believe about God and why we believe what we believe. Only that it's hard to be an apologist in front of people who believe 100% like you. Here in America, you have a saying, preaching to the choir. And uh, we're preaching to people who already know and already agree with us about God. And yet, there is no greater truth that must be known than the truth about God. And there is no reality and there is no knowledge more important than the knowledge and the reality of God. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The universe that we live in began with God. The fear of God is the beginning of wisdom. Wisdom begins with God. 
Eternal life is this, the Bible says, to know you, the only true God and your son, Jesus Christ, whom you sent. Eternal life is from God. Everything begins with God. That's why this is the most important subject that can be addressed and meditated upon, the subject of God. And Satan, who knows that his end is near, who knows that God is not dead, and that, that this is the most crucial information for the destiny of humanity. He tries to either diminish it from the people's minds as something irrelevant to their lives or convince them that, that God is, is nothing but a crutch that was invented by weak people. So it's important to know what we believe about God to equip ourselves against the attacks against the existence of God, and we see that more and more in our schools and universities and on television. Every time I'm given the, uh, the, the opportunity to speak here at our church, I always tell you some stories about, about where I come from. So after 40 years of atheist indoctrination in my country, where every effort was made by the propaganda machine to repress and to remove any concept of God from the hearts and the minds of people, the first shout of victory on our lips in the public square was not, hooray, we're free, communism is gone. But our first reaction when communism fell, and I was there, I did not see it on television, I did not read it in a newspaper, I was there in the public square, and the first reaction when communism fell was to shout, God exists. God exists. After 40 years of, of brainwashing, when the yoke was finally broken from our backs, and when the shackles finally fell from our hands and feet and the muzzle was removed from our, our mouths, the first expression of freedom was to acknowledge the existence of God. And the same thing happened in other communist countries after decades of, of atheist indoctrination taken to the extreme where the most perverse methods of brainwashing were used, brute force, concentration camps, terror, massacre. No other nations on this earth were hungrier for God as the nations where we were told that God did not exist. Masses of people went to hear the gospel preached publicly after the overthrow and savor the words of the gospel. They couldn't get enough of God. And I remember new churches had to be started and we had to, to rent space in, in theaters and in cinemas because there was no more room in our churches. The existence of God is written in the very fiber and the very DNA of our being and no amount of brainwashing or indoctrination classes can erase the truth from the, the human soul that God exists. So today I will not talk about the existence of God because I will be preaching to the choir. The question, does God exist? It's not as important. In fact, it's, it's almost uh, foolish 
Because our hearts and our conscience and our world around us tell us that God exists. The better question that needs to be asked and needs to be answered is if God exists, how is this God? What is his nature? What is his character? And does he care about me, a speck on the map of the universe? And does he have a plan for my life? For thousands of years, people have wondered, not if God existed. That's a modern question. But people wondered, how is this God? Can I reach him? Can I know him? Does he care about me? These are the questions to which we must find answers. That's why the most extraordinary subject that pushes our minds to its limits, as, as Spurgeon said, is the subject of God. And this God, who lives in unapproachable light, who speaks as is accomplished, who commands and what he commands comes into being, looked upon the expanse of this universe that he created with hundreds of billions of stars and millions of, of, of solar systems and galaxies and, and with their planets. And for reasons that we will never fully understand, he chose the planet called dirt, mud, earth. To be the planet where the most incredible drama will take place. A play between justice and mercy. Good and evil. Obedience and rebellion. Love and hate. This little patch in this vast universe is the place where God chose the greatest love story to unfold when he said, I want to make for myself sons and daughters who will inherit everything that I created. And God who lives outside of time and space removes this epistemic distance, this chasm that, that could never be crossed between himself and us and draws back the curtain and reveals himself to us so we could emerge from our ignorance and we, we can discover who he is and find answers for the most burning questions that we have in our hearts about the heart of God and about the character of God. And one way that God removed that veil and revealed himself to us is through the words, of scripture. And the Bible says that he, the Bible says two two fundamental things about the nature and the character of God. And the first one is that God is holy. God is holy. We sang about the holiness of God. And the second thing that the Bible says about God is that God is love. Two polar opposites to paradoxes. God is holy. God is a consuming fire, the Bible says. He's not a simple spectator who, who looks indifferent at what happens in his creation. 
He gave laws that he expects to be obeyed and his words that he expects to be followed. And he's holy that he cannot even look upon sin without punishing it. God's holiness, it's one of the most evident character traits of God. When Moses is at Mount Horeb from a burning bush, he hears a voice, Moses, take off your sandals because the ground upon which you stand is holy. And the first thing that Moses learns about God is that God is holy. And God's holiness will consume him alive if he came any closer. God's most striking characteristic is his holiness. Prophet Isaiah, in Isaiah 6, writes, In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon the throne, high and lifted up, and his train, the train of his robe filled the temple. And above him stood seraphim. Each had six wings, and with two wings they covered their face, and with two they covered their feet, and with two they flew. The glory of God was so blinding in the throne room of God that they had to cover their faces. They could not look upon the holiness of God. And then one called to the other, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. And when Isaiah, the man of God, when he sees this manifestation of the holiness of God in the throne room, he starts to panic and he says, Woe is me for I'm lost. I'm a man of unclean lips and I live among a people of unclean lips. My eyes have seen the King, the Lord of angel armies, the holiness of God, the holiness of God. And if there's something that needs to be recovered in this generation is awe for the God of the Bible. And if we think that in the New Testament, God eases up about his holiness. We need to look at the book of Revelation. John, the beloved disciple of Jesus, who spent three and a half years with Jesus. He ate with him and traveled with him and talked to him and, 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 and laughed with him. Eighty years later, after he served Jesus his entire life, 80 years later, he sees Jesus, his friend, in a vision. And the Bible says that he fell to the ground like a, like a dead man when he sees Jesus in all his glory and holiness. The Jews did not even pronounce the name of God. They used synonyms to refer to God because they didn't believe that they could put God's name on, the, on, on, on these perverted and sinful lips. And what is paradoxical? about this God who needed nothing to make him happy or more fulfilled than he, what he already was. This God whom the Bible describes as a consuming fire had a desire. And his desire was to have fellowship with the people that he created, to live among them. Build me a linen tent just like yours. God says to Moses, Surrounded by billions of angels singing in perfect harmony and in perfect pitch. God wants to hear our singing. Surrounded by beauty beyond description. Angels 
who respond instantly to his every command. God wants our company. It's a paradox. Wants to love us and wants to be loved by us. And throughout history, God entered into legally binding agreements, covenants with his people. And he said, I want you to know that I am a faithful God. That I will bless you to a thousand generations if you love me. That I'm a covenant-keeping God and I will be your God and you will be my people. And if you open your heart, I will live inside you. I will manifest my presence among you. I will put my spirit inside you. You are now my tent of meeting, God says. You are now the holy of holies. The place that hosts my holy presence. I don't need animal sacrifices anymore. I want you to present your body as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to me. That is your spiritual worship. Recognize me as the Lord and master of your life. Money is not your master. Your lusts are not your master. Your ambitions and the things that you possess are not your God. I am your God. And we see throughout scripture how God expresses his faithfulness and love and goodness over and over again. Even when he is not loved. Even when he is not obeyed. And God renews his covenant with a rebellious nation over again, declaring his love for them, comparing his love with the greatest love that we have on this earth, the love of a mother for for her child. But even that maternal love, he says, can fail. A mother may forget her child, the child that came out of her womb, but I will never forsake you. I love you with an everlasting love. I called you by name. I bought you with a price. And you are mine. And I will go to extremes to clean you up. To rescue you. To gain your love. My goodness and my mercy. He says shall follow you all the days of your life. On my life I swear. Says the Lord that I do not want the death of the sinner but that he will turn to me and live. This is what we find in the heart of God. Holiness, yes, but also a love that compels him to go to extremes, to be with us, to rescue us, to court us, to stand at our door and knock, saying, will you open? Will you give me the place of honor in your life? I want to show you the plans that I have for you that will blow your mind. And when this life is over, I will welcome you into my highest heaven and give you eternal life. I give you dominion over my galaxies and universes that I created to rule and to reign with my son, Jesus Christ. How is God? Throughout time, he declared his love and passion for his people by tirelessly speaking 
through the prophets, calling the people to repentance, calling the people to reconciliation, to taste and see that God is good, that he gives mercy and salvation to anyone who comes to him. The words that we read in scripture, the most beautiful words of love and forgiveness an imploration to return to him. Why do you want to die, house of Israel? By my life, I swear, I do not desire the death of the sinner, but to return from his wicked ways and live. But in his love, God did more than just call people to come to him. The Bible says that God himself came to earth the person of our Lord Jesus Christ. And the word was made flesh and lived among us, full of grace and full of truth. Jesus was the mirror image of God, tells Philip, whoever has seen the Father has seen me. I do nothing of my own will, but only what I saw the Father do. And I came to seek and I came to save those who are lost because that's what I saw the Father do. I am the good shepherd who left the 99 sheep to find that one lost sheep among thorns who could not get out because the wool was caught in those thorns and was about to be torn apart from limb to limb by wolves. Jesus says, I'm the good shepherd. And I came into this inferior world, to the most infected place in the universe, degraded by sin and degraded by Satan. To live and to die here, to show you the heart of God. This is how the Bible describes God. Not as a baron, a master over his estate who says, if you want salvation, then let them come to me. Let them humble themselves. I've called them enough. I'm not going to lower myself anymore before them. I'm the boss. God, for reasons that we will never know, leaves his glory where he was served continuously by angels. And he becomes one of us and dresses in our rags and is born in a manger, an infested barn to serve us. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. This is the God of the Bible. Our Father. The Muslims have their Quran. The Hindu have the Bhagavad Gita and Upanishad, the other holy writings. But there is nothing in the Quran or in the Gita about God the Good Shepherd. God the Good Shepherd. Who lays down his life for his sheep. You won't find in any other religion. A God who sacrificially loved, lowered himself to save his creation, who took his innocent son and nailed him to a cross so inferior beings like you and me would not die. 
but have eternal life. None of these religions will tell you about such God because none of those writings are the true voice of the true God. And today, the Lord wants, wants us to lift that curtain of doubt about his love and about his goodness. He wants to open our hearts to him and discover the love of the good shepherd. You know, God created us. He knew when he created us that the greatest need that we have, what makes us different than animals, what makes us reflect something of the image of God, is not our need for food. It's not, it's not a place to live. It's not our need for, for toys or to accumulate things. But the greatest human need is the need for love. From the baby in the crib to the restless teenager to the middle-aged mother to, to the old man forgotten by his family in a nursing home. Everyone has the same deep, deep need which cannot be replaced by anything else. The need to be loved. God is, exists. And the greatest cry of God's heart is, I love you with an everlasting love. Now I wrote this message Because a few weeks ago, I was, I was having my devotion, or so I thought. But I was actually just sitting there, remembering all the bad things from my past. And I was wallowing in those memories. Have you ever done that? Swallow in that. And in the midst of that wallowing, I heard the Lord say, Do you really believe that I'm good. I know that you love me. I know that you would die for me if I asked you to. I know that. But when you look back on your life and you remember all the, the pain that you went through and you remember the non-glamorous things and parts, do you believe that despite your pain, I am fundamentally a good God. And I knew that theoretically, I believed that. But did I believe that God was good, even when bad things happened to me? And the more I thought, the more I realized that in each situation, in each bad situation, as painful as it was, I could pinpoint to the goodness of God that carried me through, that showed me that door of escape when I was in a temptation or reminded me of a verse or reminded me of a song that helped me overcome whatever I was going through. That was the goodness of God. In a world that is fallen, in a world that is broken, in a world that is inclined only towards sin, where injustices happen almost on a daily basis, God's nature has not changed. And one day he will right all the wrongs. 
But until then, he promises that he is with us and that his goodness and mercy and love will chase us and will keep on chasing us all the days of our life. Though the mountains be shaken and the hills be removed, yet my unfailing love, the Bible says, will not be shaken, nor will my covenant of peace be removed says the Lord who has mercy on you. I would like us to transition here in, into a time of, of ministry. What I sensed in my heart was that so, so many of us lost that sense that God is good, that God loves us. And we live in a, in, a, in a loneliness that God never intended us to live in. And I believe God wants to restore that relationship with us where he is the good shepherd. He's the good shepherd that will never leave you, not forsake you. So as I was praying, I, I was sensing that there are some of you, maybe some who are watching or some here, you go to bed crying. And you need to be reminded about the goodness of God. So as, as we go into a ministry time, if that is you, I would like you to not be ashamed and just, just cry out to the Lord and say, I have been so isolated from you and, and lonely. Will you please help me see you again as a, as a good shepherd? So if you're doubting the goodness of God, the love of God, I would like you to bow your head and to invite the presence of God right now to come into your life. Thanks again for listening to the podcast of the Vineyard Church, Chester Springs. We hope you share this with your friends and family and subscribe on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. See you next time.